Hey everyone, welcome into a special pre-draft, uh, pro day, post-NBA draft combine edition of the Woj Pod. I'm Adrian Wojnarowski. This is, of course, Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN's NBA draft analyst. We are both out here in Los Angeles after a week in Chicago. The league's pro days out here this week, Jonathan. Uh, a lot, getting to see a lot of prospects up close. We'll get to a bunch of them and a bunch of the important storylines and a lot of the uncertainty around this draft, which is less than a month away now. But let's get and start with the one certainty, and that's Victor Wimbanyama, who, as we know now, will go number one to the San Antonio Spurs. And you and I both over the last several days have seen the Spurs officials kind of, I don't want to say strutting around, but walking, I think, part excitedly, part relieved that they've got Wimbayama, and now they are starting the process of preparing for what is really an unprecedented player in this draft. They have a new 50-acre practice facility, coincidentally opening up in August, uh, training center. The one thing, Jonathan, when people talk about Victor and any of the questions, he has size, he has skill, uh, he has great feel great maturity. He doesn't have great strength yet. And there's questions at seven foot five about his body, how it will hold up. We have seen players of that size who have had issues physically. What is different about Victor and how he has prepared his body that might alleviate some of those concerns that teams had and that the Spurs will certainly be real cognizant of as they start his development? Well, Woj, Victor was identified from a very early age as the likely number one pick in the draft. Already when he was 15 years old, it felt like it was trending in that direction. And he surrounded himself with a team of people that would help him accomplish that dream. And part of it was being having the right training staff, having the right medical people, um, you know, constantly getting scans and, um, you know, flying out to different locations to meet with specialists and make sure that that he's on track that he is going to be able to stay healthy um, you know hiring a very well-known trainer in France named Guillaume Alcare from Poartes his team insisted on him being hired by by the Metropolitan's 92 organization they did he's working on, on a daily basis um, you know so there there's been a plan here to make sure that he maximizes his talent he's able to stay healthy and it needs to be said that he has not missed a single game yet all season. He's played over 50 games now. If you count all the exhibition games that they've played and, you know, the national team and in the league and the cups and G League Ignite. And so that's, I think that that says something for sure. And, you know, and playing at max intensity in every game at the same time. So I think that, you know, that that's been the key. And and that and going to the San Antonio Spurs, they're going to have a plan at the same time to to make sure he stays healthy too. Jonathan, the draft lottery last week in Chicago, I was a little surprised at some people being surprised, a lot of people being surprised at me calling him the greatest prospect in the history of team sports. That doesn't mean he's going to be the greatest player in the history of team sports. I don't know that he's going to have the career Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Lou Alcindor, and then Kareem had. I don't know if he's going to have LeBron James's career. He's got a long way to go to win multiple MVPs, and those are the two all-time leading scores. 
but we're talking about prospect and where his development is right now as a teenager. To me, it's not even close. As great and as revolutionary as Lou Alcindor was when he came out, he didn't do the fraction of the things Victor does, but the game was different. Of course he didn't. Big men weren't playing out on the perimeter then. LeBron was an incredible prospect. His game wasn't fully as fully formed as it would become. You have seen him play as much as anybody and from a very young age. What do, what do people have to understand about where the game is, how advanced it is, and how it will impact the league, perhaps almost from the start? Well, just the level of scrutiny that he's been under from such a young age and um, you know the, the ways he's been tested um, at the FIBA level in the under-16 European Championship, at the under-19 World Cup, um, coming for these G League Ignite games, which is something that you know, really a lot of players would not have agreed to do. And the first time anybody saw him play with NBA rules, the first time he played with NBA rules, and you saw the spacing, what the spacing would look like in the NBA on the floor, he scored 35-37 in the two games. Yeah, I mean, he knocked it out. He could not have been more impressive. I mean, those type of number one against number two showdowns, they, they rarely materialize, and they, and they rarely live up to the hype. And it was, honestly, it was extraordinary to see what, what, what he was able to do in Las Vegas. And I mean, he's just, you know, he's continuing to do it all every, every single game. I mean, it's, you know, 20 and 10, 20 and 12, 20 and 14, um, you know, leading the, uh, a good league in points and rebounds and blocks and, and, and contributing to winning at the same time. And almost in every one of those, and you talk to people who watch him in practice, there's always one or two things people see you go, I've never seen anything quite like that. And part of it is the size It's seven, five. And, and on both ends of the floor, he's going to be the, the, the dominance defensively, it is hard to get a shot up around the rim when he's, you know, on the ball or even off the ball, how much ground he covers on the floor. Yeah, I mean, he epitomizes the evolution of the game, what we've seen um, the past you know, 10 years or so with guys like Steph Curry uh, and Kevin Durant and, and Luka Doncic and Giannis and Jokic and Embiid. And, I mean, just to have that type of skill – in a seven foot five frame with an eight foot wingspan, you know, with a, an incredible mind for the game and awareness and processing speed. And, you know, it, it's extraordinary. We were talking him up so much. I mean, it's going to be hard for him to, to live up to it. But I, I really do think that, that he's up for the challenge. We'll talk a lot about Victor between now and the draft. But where it gets interesting is really right away at number two with Brandon Miller, the Charlotte Hornets. I think if this was purely on just talent and projection to the NBA game at six foot nine, how Miller plays, the growth you've seen in his game over the last year and plus, my sense before anybody knew the draft order was Miller had overtaken Scoot Henderson as the two pick. If we just were picking purely on talent and game and how they project long term. There are more questions with Miller. What have you found here? Brandon Miller's done something a little unorthodox. Usually the player who expects to go second and maybe at worst third doesn't do interviews with any teams beyond three. They might not even do three. They might do one and two or just two. He's talked to 10-plus teams, a dozen teams, and given himself access to a lot of people that then creates conversation around those interviews. What have you learned about Miller from the combine about how teams feel about him and the issues with what happened at Alabama 
with his role that night with a young woman who was killed, teammates, you know, certainly involvement of teammates. He's not been charged. He is not presently under investigation, but it's certainly something that teams are digging into. They'll continue to dig into, especially those teams around two, three, and four. Yeah, I mean, like you said, on talent, he, he should be the number two pick in the draft. And I believe if the draft were held tonight, he would be the number two pick in the draft. But there's a process that's going to play out here with Charlotte, with Portland. Um, you know, they have questions that still need to be answered. Uh, he went into his interviews at the NBA Combine and told them, the teams, I can't talk about the specifics of, of the case. I can't do the play-by-play of what happened that night. You know, here's a, a legal document that my lawyers have prepared. It explains, you know, everything that you need to know. I want to talk about any other topic, but not that. And I'm just not sure that that's good that enough. That's not received well. No, that's not good enough for teams because they're, you know, they have to answer to ownership, you know, in in fan bases and fan bases yeah. exactly and, and, and so different parts of the country are going to react differently to that story too exactly right? so yeah. um i just think that that's not going to suffice for them and and on one hand they're saying you know he, he did nothing wrong you know he hasn't been accused for any crimes he's not under investigation um and he's free and clear in the words of his camp on the other hand they're saying well we can't talk about it you know, so that's where some of that uncertainty comes from. And they're saying, okay, but but why? You know, like those two things, they don't really mix. And I do think that when the time is appropriate, he will talk about it. And they're going to have to have a better uh, plan in terms of how they want to discuss this with teams. And then on top of that, you know, people want to see him on a basketball floor too. And the complicating factor is here is that he got ill in mid-April. He had he had mononucleosis, and so he had he has not really done much basketball activity since the season ended. And not that that's a deal breaker. Usually, the number two pick or number three pick, they don't need to do much. But I do with Charlotte. I mean, they're a team that really values the workout, and so it opens the doorway for a guy like Scoot Henderson to come in, conduct a workout, and just blow them away with his talent because he does have that type of talent. Um, he's incredibly gifted physically. Um, he can really shoot off the dribble. Uh, he's incredibly explosive, changing gears, finishing around the basket. And so he, if he comes in there and, and blows them the way with his talent, that might introduce, you know, some ideas of, okay, maybe we're make maybe Scoot Henderson is the guy here, especially if Brandon Miller is not able to conduct a rigorous workout, which I don't, it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to. And I think for Charlotte too, you know, we reported this few weeks ago, Michael Jordan's been in talks, continues to be in talks on selling a majority share of that team. But I think all indications are Michael Jordan and uh, Mitch Kupchak, their general manager, uh, they'll be making this pick. They'll be making this pick in June, and it'll be their um, ultimately their decision. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What's interesting, Jonathan, Portland at three, Houston at four, Detroit at five, 
even Orlando at six, I think Orlando is the one team like they've got just, you know, you're seeing them stockpiling really good young talent that's fitting together. They've got two picks in the lottery. Portland's in this in-between place where they hit last year's pick with Shaden Sharp. He had a really productive freshman year, especially having not played basketball the year before Kentucky. You see the flashes of a really, really good wing player. They are trying to still build around Damian Lillard, and certainly they want to re-sign Jeremy Grant. But, you know, I think they're willing. If there's a deal out there that could bring them back, I think a pretty elite player at three, and maybe that's Anthony Simons and, and the pick. I think these teams will talk about it. Three, Houston at four, who, again, another young team that wants to be better. Ton of cap space. They're interested in James Harden. They want to make a jump. And then Detroit at five. I think there'll be a lot of trade chatter around those teams. There'll be a lot of conversations. But especially at three, Jonathan, you have got to get back a really, really elite player to trade out the third pick in a draft that most agree how it looks now is a three-player draft. Now, five years from now, we may say we missed on one of those. It's two other guys. But right now, a three-player draft. Portland, to me, is really the – in a lot of ways, I think the draft starts with them. Definitely. I mean, historically speaking, it's very rare for a top three pick to be traded. And they're going to need something to absolutely blow them away in order to trade that pick is what I've been told. And right now, it doesn't look like that trade is, is on the table. And I think that they're also very excited about where they're slated to pick. You know, for them to move up on lottery night from five to three, they very well could have slid back to seven. It just puts them in a great position where they can add a player, Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, who can play a role for them next year and and help them win games because that is their goal, absolutely, is to win games next year with, with Damian Lillard. But also prepare for, you know, two or three years down the line when, when Damian Lillard is not you know the focal point of the franchise and you have the ability to hand the keys off to a Shaden Sharp or to a Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, I mean, it's honestly, it's the best of both worlds for them. I just, I don't see a trade out there that that's going to make sense for them. What's going to be interesting is I don't know that there's any teams, and I look at the 30, who you could say next year, hey, they're trying to tank. They, they just... They're not going to spend this offseason really trying to get better, bring in veterans. Like, I think, and part of it is the draft next year. There's, there's no, Victor's not, there's no, there may never be another Victor, but there's not, uh, I think because of the play-in, I think you've got two play-in teams in the conference finals. Teams are seeing that there's a little more parity in the league right now, and there's opportunity to, to get in the playoffs and advance. And a lot of teams feel like, that race to the bottom, I think, makes less sense right now. And it's what the league wanted. They wanted teams doing this. So, But I do think it's impacting teams unloading really, really good veteran players for a pick or for another young player. Now, we're going to see teams having to start reshuffle their payrolls with the new collective bargaining agreement, that second apron. You're going to see salaries moving around, players moving around. Teams are going to have to start making hard decisions on their rosters. Uh, but again, if you're Portland, it is just an interesting rail. There, these two rails they're trying to ride of, of not being rash and doing something very short-sighted for Lillard versus still the long view of you better get value at number three. Jonathan, we talked about this week the pro days in LA. There was a combine in Chicago last week. 
Uh, not a lot of the elite players are out on the court playing. Teams aren't getting to see a lot of them. Pro days are different. Now you're seeing lottery-level players in the gym. Now they're not playing five-on-five. Five. They're not really doing much more than drills and shooting. But for a lot of GMs, decision-makers, it's a chance to see what kind of condition guys in are in, see them up close, and uh, you know, I think get a better sense between there's really the last time they'll see them on the court before the draft. I don't think these have a great deal of value for a lot of players, but who are a couple this week out in LA when you look in the lottery and say, there's something they can get out of this week. There's something these guys need to show teams. Yeah, there are certain types of players that I think the pro day setting can help. For example, Arkansas's Anthony Black. Uh, He's a player who does everything on the basketball court. He's a tremendous defender. He's a tremendous passer. He's got a great feel for the game. He brings a winning spirit that every organization would want. But there are real question marks about his jump shot and his overall scoring ability. And is he going to be able to keep defenses honest enough by being on the floor? And I thought he helped himself in Santa Barbara at the WME Pro Day, just going through Jills and, and knocking down shots, making a volume of them consecutively. You come in, you're expecting Anthony Black to not be able to shoot at all. And so he 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 makes enough in a row where you're like, okay, well, maybe there's a chance there. You know, like maybe he's he does have a, the ability to develop that part of his game. He's obviously been working on it very hard. You see that. You see that in the mechanics. And you see that the, the work that he's put in, and that's encouraging if you're if you're a team drafting in the top ten. Kim Whitmore from Villanova, uh, up in Santa Barbara at that WME Pro Day, he was injured last year for part of the season early, and certainly impacted Villanova's season. That was the first time I had seen him up close, and he is a physical specimen. I mean, he looks like a ready-made one and duns typically don't look physically like him and then you see his versatility on the floor you've got him right now to indiana at seven in your mock draft and he's certainly a team that has a very good backcourt offensively but you could see this is a real two-way player but a physical defender he was impressive to me i think jay billis has him even higher jay saw certainly a lot of them during the college season too i think just he was the rare player who just seeing him physically on the floor it stopped a lot of people in the gym. I mean, that's he just looks different. That's what an NBA all-star looks like. That type of build, that type of size, and that type of explosiveness. And to see him shoot the ball the way he did was encouraging. You see the way that he finishes around the basket. That's impressive. Again, it's a one-on-zero setting. It's not directly translatable to the to basketball court, but you see the talent popping. So guys like Cam Whitmore, that does help them. And I think at the same time, Jalen Hood Shafino from Indiana, it's very similar in terms of the, the physical tools, the size, the length, the athleticism. You see the improved shooting ability. You see the explosiveness, the way that he changes speeds, the way that he can get to the rim, the way he can finish around the basket. When you NBA teams know what an all-star level player looks like physically, and when they see Jalen Huchifino, they can see the pathway for for him to get there down the road. They see the upside, um, and so yeah, that's those type of guys. The pro day setting definitely helps. Jonathan, who else is going to be able to help themselves with pro days, with individual workouts between now and June twenty second? A couple of guys that have stood out to me. One is Nick Smith from Arkansas. Started the year as the highest rated prospect on our board from the college ranks and didn't have the type of season that a lot of people expected. He 
he was hurt. Um, he missed a big chunk of the year. When he came back right into the grind of the SEC slate, he he struggled a little bit with his confidence, with you know the spacing that Arkansas encountered. A guy like that um, can show people something different in a pro day setting that they perhaps didn't see during the year. Just being able to see him at full strength, just seeing you know the type of ball handling ability that he has, the uh, the shot making, the intensity that he brings. I think that that's beneficial for him. Um, another guy that I think could help himself in that same realm is Michigan's Jet Howard. Uh, another, he also didn't have a, a great season just because of the injury. He started off the year actually tremendously well, but had a couple of ankle injuries and he was playing, you know, kind of at 50 or 60% for most of the year. And for NBA teams to be able to see him, you know, now that, you know, we're two months past from the season ending, um, he's fully healthy. Um, you get to see him in the gym. You get to see the work that he's putting on his body. Uh, you get to see the shooting ability. And, you know, that he's also, he's more than a shooter too. He has a little bit of athleticism to him. He's a good finisher. Um, he can pass the ball. So Jed Howard, the son of Michigan coach Juwan Howard, who I think when David Fisdale, who works in Utah's front office now, uh, he reminded Jed Howard when he saw him at the Combine, that he used to shoot on the little Nerf basket in David Fisdale's <laughs> office in Miami when Fizz was an assistant at Miami and Jawan Howard was went from a player to an assistant with the Heat. And so uh, bloodlines matter too a little bit. That always intrigues people. De- definitely. There'll be a comfort level with guys like that. Another type of player that can help themselves um, is, is someone like Terquavion Smith from NC State. I thought he opened up some eyes with the way that he performed at the, at the Life Sports Pro Day, just showing you know incredible explosiveness as a finisher, just some really diverse shot-making ability, um, just the energy that he brought. Um, you know, I thought that was impressive. And so that, you know, you, you see guys in that setting and you say, okay, there might be some more talent here than I had seen in, in, in the five-on-fives. Yeah, and you, you talk about uh, Smith, the same workout, Elijah Martin from Florida Atlantic, who I think will probably go back uh, with Dusty May from that Final Four team. And, you know, we're talking about lottery picks, first-round picks. But I remember before the NCAA tournament, when, if you might remember, I said to you, Florida Atlantic was a team that was going to make a run. Now, I didn't call it the Final Four. I said, I didn't know if they had any pro prospects. And you said they do in Elijah Martin. And you see him as with another year of school. You know, that might be like a two-way player who finds his way into the league, physical guard. And so there's all those kind of guys who were at pro days this year that we won't be maybe talking about in this draft, but we'll, we'll probably see next year. Jonathan, the players between now and the draft who you think have the biggest variance, who they might be in mocks right now or teams might be evaluating them late lottery or teens, but at the same time, if they dropped out of the first round or in the late first round, wouldn't surprise you. Are there a couple of guys who... People are really trying to figure out. I think Duke's Derek Whitehead is one of them. One of the youngest players in this draft came into this um, season projected as a top 10 pick. He was, uh, I think, the number three player in his recruiting class in high school. Started out injured the year, uh, had, had, a, had a foot injury, which really derailed the season and never really quite looked healthy. Again, you later on broke the news that he needed to have another surgery on his foot, which so 
NBA teams are looking at him and they say, well, we just haven't seen the best of him. What version of Derek Whitehead are we going to see? Is it the guy from high school that we already liked in Montverde, a guy that you know brings tremendous toughness and defensive versatility? You know, he brings some shot making, he brings some passing ability. Or are we going to see the version we saw at Duke, which was you know a hobbled version, a very inefficient version, who played you know average defense and was very inefficient offensively. So, you know, a guy like that, um, I think South Carolina's Gigi Jackson, another player with a, with a wide variance. There are teams in the late lottery that want to fall in love with Gigi Jackson, but there are teams in the second round who are saying, this guy could be staring right at us. You know, he was historically inefficient. He is the youngest player in the draft. Right. Reclassified was going to spend, this would have been a senior year of high school. Exactly. And then right around this time last year, maybe even a little later, reclassified to go to South Carolina. Correct. And sped the whole thing up. Exactly. And just, you know, did not look ready in the least bit for college basketball. Played on a, on a very bad team. And a lot of the reason they were bad were was because of him. I mean, he could not guard anybody. Um, he just, you know, he really struggled to make good decisions on, on the floor. He, he played very selfishly at times. There were question marks about his his body language, some of the, you know, the things that he did off the court, calling out the coaching staff, you know, on social media. And then we saw him in a pro day in Chicago, and it, it just wasn't a great look. You know, he was out of shape. I mean, his, you know, he, he claimed to be sick later. People were a little bit skeptical about that. Took a lot of bad shots, didn't make a lot. And so it's just like, you know, he was the he was projected as the, the number one player in his rec- in his class before reclassifying. You know, usually that player is a top five pick. Gigi Jackson could very well be going in the second round on draft night. There'll still be some players, Jonathan, who have that May thirty first deadline of staying in the draft or going back to school. Or now the third option is the portal. Right, there'll be guys who uh, they won't go back to the school; they'll go to a different school. Uh, Andre Jackson Jr. from UConn. Now, he's not going to another school. If he went back, he'd go back to UConn and try to defend his national championship. He's an interesting player to me. Uh, I was very fond of him during the season. Like, just a connector on the court. And you talk to Danny Hurley at UConn, and you know the impact he had with that group. They hit that skid in the middle after a great start. And he was the guy who pulled that team back together and is just – been the leader of that group since he got to UConn out of uh, upstate New York, out of Albany. Not a lot of wing players who averaged six and a half points a game you're talking about in the first round, but he is such a menace on the floor. Great playmaker, defensively, you know, just is always in the middle of it. And UConn season was a perfect showcase for him, right? Like national championship run, you see him in big games, you see him impacting winning, He's got a funky-looking shot. Now, there might be organizations who might break that down and start over with it, or he has improved, and I saw him at some of his pro day in Chicago, and you know he was making some shots there. It looks like he's made steady improvement, but his decision to go back, I don't know that he's going to average 10 or 12 points next year. It's probably not going to happen. He has shown the intangibles and all those things, and you talk to the teams who've met with him. He is somebody people rave about, and I think you're looking right maybe – mid to late first round. You look at some of those teams who have multiple picks, right? Indiana and Utah both have three picks. Uh, Portland at 23. He was in there for a workout. I don't know if that might be a little high, but but I think he would be in play there. He's an interesting one about what he does because if he goes back to school, UConn, who's a preseason top five, they're, you know, they would be put them in position to, to, to have a chance to repeat. Yeah. Honestly, I would be surprised I would be too. If, if we went yeah. back. I mean, just, you know, winning the national championship and, you know, where do where do you take your game to the next level? He's to me he's he's a guy who's never going to average 
15 points a game. He's always going to be this, you know, tremendous passer who, you know, plays great defense and is, you know, is just a playmaker with a finisher and um, he's a winner. And so, you know, they lost some key pieces from that team last year and Adama Sanogo and, and Jordan Hawkins. And so, um, you know, he's 21 and a half. And so if he goes back and, you know, doesn't materially improve, then where does that put him as far as the draft? And, you know, to me, it's I think I, I don't know that his stock is ever going to be higher. Uh, a player who's just not had great NBA stock, but everybody knows him, Zach Eady from Purdue at seven foot four. Uh, because of the COVID years, these guys can go back. Oscar Shibway at Kentucky could go back. Where does Zach Eady land? Because NIL-wise, a lot of these players, it would be probably more lucrative to go back and they have not just locally, whether it's a collective at their school or regionally, but Zach Eady is a player who nationally is known and probably can uh, gather up uh, NIL that probably pays him more than if he was on a two-way contract, which is um, you know mid mid to high six figures. Yeah, he's right now looking for assurances that he'll either be picked in the late first round or somewhere early enough in the second round where he'll get a guaranteed contract. And that might not be attainable for him on May 31st, which that's the deadline of the NCA has imposed for him to withdraw his name. And so I, I've been told that he's comfortable going back to Purdue if, if that's what it what it comes to. And honestly, like he's another guy that was interesting to see in a pro day setting because we never saw him take a single jump shot all year at Purdue. All of a sudden, you, you're watching him shoot threes and you're saying, okay, there's a world in which Zach Eady can step outside and make a three at some point. And he's running the floor and he's playing with, you know, incredible intensity. And like his conditioning level is, is honestly, it's fantastic for a guy who is seven foot four in shoes, seven foot ten and a half wingspan, 306 pounds. I mean, these are elite dimensions, you know, even by NBA standards, he would be the longest and tallest player in the NBA right off the bat, except for Victor Wimbanyama. So he would be number two. Uh, so It'll be an interesting decision for him. I mean, I think it would be great for college basketball if he did return. I mean, I, the 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 taste that's been left in his mouth from you know exiting in the first round of the NCAA tournament that's probably what's driving him to an extent. You know, having that incredible year, you're in the number one seed, you lose in the first round. That's disappointing. So uh, it'd be great to see him come back and show some new facets to his game that we didn't see this past season. Jonathan, with a couple years now to survey the impact. Uh, I think two things. The portal has had of being able to transfer immediately and be eligible, and NIL has had. What is what has that impact been on the draft? It's okay to go back to school now because in a lot of cases, these guys are going to make more money in college than they would in the NBA on an Exhibit 10 contract. It was used to be viewed as failure. If you didn't leave early, the longer you stayed, I think even within peer groups, guys felt there was this pressure that it was failure that you weren't ready to be out, which I thought was so destructive it wasn't fair but I always felt kids felt that that they're comparing themselves to others and I gotta go even when there was very little assurance that there was a pathway to a career now you really can bank some money and stay in college even if you're not a great pro prospect yeah the NCA stumbled into this and it's honestly been incredible for them just to be able to retain these stars that People know Oscar Shibwe, um, Terrence Shannon, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Zach Eady, uh, Adem Bona coming back potentially next year, Coleman Hawkins. These are big fan bases that would pay 
real money to get these guys back. And so you're all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, 500, $600, $700,000 offers plus, you know, sometimes getting into seven figures, that's incredible money. And so I think it's, it's created a pathway for these big time stars and, you know, your Hunter Dickinson's, uh, you know, Armando Baycott's to, to not even enter the draft and just, you know, go straight back to college and probably make what's going to be the most money that they'll make ever in their life. Back to the lottery, the Thompson Twins uh, from G League Ignite. How are they being evaluated? Do you imagine that they're going to end up going back to back in the draft? They're, in a lot of the mocks, they're back to back. And you think of all the players in the world that I still think it's pretty amazing. Of all the players in the world every year that are eligible to be drafted, that two twins could still, there'd be that little difference between them, and they'd, they'd go back-to-back. I think they're the fourth and fifth best prospects in this draft. Not every team agrees with that. Not every team has it the way we do with a men fourth, a SAR fifth. There is, there's definitely a contingent of teams that looks at a SAR and says, he's the better shooter. That's an easier fit on our roster. He knows how to play off the ball a little bit better than a men does. To me, a men has a little bit of a higher upside because he's a better ball handler. He's a better finisher around the basket. He's a little bit more creative with the way he passes off a live dribble. But a SAR can do all those things also. And he's a he's a very good he's become a a much better shooter on top of that, and so I'm not exactly sure where they're going to go, but they've helped themselves in the pre-draft process. They've gotten rave reviews from teams. A lot of teams didn't exactly know what to make of them coming out of OTE, and they've done a great job answering a lot of questions in their interviews, which by all accounts have been phenomenal. Overtime Elite with the Thompson Twins G League Ignite, which is produced annually now multiple lottery picks, first-round picks. What has been their impact on the feeder system into the NBA? It's given players more options, um, different pathways to making the NBA. It used to be you had to go to college to play in the NBA. Now you could, you know, if you're not into school, if that's not what floats your boat, you could go to G League Ignite. You could go to Overtime Elite. You could go to the Australian NBL. You could go to Europe. You could go anywhere you want. And I think it's just, it's great for kids to have options. You look at the late first, early second, are there, is there a player to that people have not been talking about whether it's a college season internationally that you think out there kind of looms as someone who's going to make a jump, someone that by draft night, we are going to be talking about. For me, it's Jaime Jaquez. I think he's a player that... From UCLA. Exactly. All-American, um, you know, one of the top 10 scorers in UCLA history, just a total winner, a guy who does everything on the floor. He's an outstanding passer. He's a he's a terrific defender. Um, I, I think he's impressed teams in this process with the way he shot the ball. Um, you know, teams had a chance to evaluate him at the CAA Pro Day, see how, you know, the, the type of shape that he's in, just the... the uh, how serious he is about this process and about becoming a great player. You know, he's a great interview. And so like there's a comfort level with a guy like that who has played a lot of different roles at UCLA, has won a lot of games and, and, and he knows how to play basketball, right? You don't have to teach him that he knows how to play with other great players. And I think that he's a guy that, you know, when you look back five years from now, he's going to end up being a top 20 player from this draft. Jonathan, a lot's still going to happen between now in the draft in Brooklyn in June. We'll be back again, I think, uh, for another draft show as we get closer to uh, that June 22nd NBA draft. 
thanks for jumping in. We'll see you around the gym here the rest of this week. And then uh, obviously as we get back toward Brooklyn and uh, what's going to be a historic NBA draft uh, with certainly with Victor Wembayama at the very top. Thanks, Woj. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.